My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. talk about industrial food system. The problem with that type of agriculture is that it tends to deplete the soil. It also caused a lot of farmers to go into debt because of the cost of these seeds and inputs. And eventually, on a large scale, it causes all these other kinds of environmental problems and has tended to push out the small and medium family farms. That's the voice of Beatrice Oliver. She and Abir Day are today's guests on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Despite the fact that most of us are completely dependent for our survival on the network of farmers, processors, wholesalers, and retailers that comprise the food system, we mostly do not know much about how it works or really pay it much attention. As consumers, rising food costs are detrimentally impacting more and more of us, and occasional stories, like for example Canada's big bread price-fixing scandal of 2018, make waves in the mainstream media, but most of the nuts and bolts of how it all works remain obscure. As today's interview participants discuss, most of our food system is what sometimes gets described as industrial agriculture. It tends to favor large-scale production, heavy use of synthetic inputs like pesticides and chemical fertilizers, and a powerful role for large corporations. And it works this way, at least in part, because of regulatory frameworks and government practices that favor this kind of approach. There are a lot of complexities to that, but in Canada, it includes ways that seeds and plant varieties are regulated that make it more difficult for farmers who are committed to other visions of how our food system might work. Today's guests work for an organization called Seed Change. Originally known as USC Canada, it was founded in 1945 and has played a number of quite different roles over the decades. These days, according to Oliver, it is, quote, really focused on food and agriculture, particularly agroecology and food sovereignty, end quote. Oliver is Seed Change's Director of International Programs, and Day directs the organization's Canadian field program, which is called the Bauta Family Initiative on Canadian Seed Security. In its work, Seed Change centers what today's guests variously describe as agroecology or ecological farming or a range of other terms capturing deliberately ecological approaches to growing food. And while it does not reject farming that happens on a larger scale, it also often centers small-scale farmers, especially indigenous farmers in the Global South, as well as local resources and local knowledge. And as the organization's name suggests, seeds are a big part of its work. In its international work, Seed Change is active in around a dozen countries. The details vary, but much of that work involves partnering with local organizations, particularly rural and indigenous organizations. Much of it includes providing technical and financial supports, and working with partners as they strive to strengthen ecological farming, farmers' rights, including a growing emphasis on women's rights, and community organizing. This includes things like developing local collective institutions like seed banks that can play a crucial role in community seed security and in conserving and developing varieties of food crops that are adapted to local conditions. 
They also support policy advocacy work, particularly in the face of regulatory regimes that favor multinational corporations and prohibit farmers from saving, sharing, or trading seeds, with the aim of moving towards greater support for the rights of small farmers and for ecological approaches and recognition of the importance of locally developed and produced seed. The work in Canada is more recent in its origins and is happening in a much different context, but in many ways it's similar. Seed Change partners with farmers and organizations that are already engaged with ecological farming. Some of this work is to support farmers in saving seeds to preserve local varieties, as well because ecological growing methods tend to expose plants to different conditions, and because the most common varieties of most food crops grown in Canada are not adapted to those conditions, Seed Change partners with both farmers and universities to develop new plant varieties more suited to agroecological approaches. And similarly, much like Seed Change's international work, the policy work in the Canadian context also focuses on ensuring that farmers using more agroecological methods are at the table as policies are being developed, and on removing the regulatory barriers that stand in the way of a more farmer-centric, ecologically sound seed system. I speak with Oliver and Day about the work of Seed Change. My name is Beatrice Oliver. I'm the Director of International Programs at Seed Change. And Seed Change, previous name was USC Canada. It's quite an old organization. It was founded in 1945. And it has a long history with different purposes. So it started off for humanitarian purposes, then more community development, international cooperation, and in later decades, really focused on food and agriculture, particularly agroecology and food sovereignty. My name is Abir Day, and I work for Seed Change. I run one of our Canadian field programs, which is called the Bow to Family Initiative on Canadian Seed Security. We work with farmers across Canada who practice organic and ecological farming to help them preserve, improve, and create new seed diversity that's regionally produced and adapted to organic and ecological farming conditions. This work started in 2013, and while the context of our work in Canada looks a lot different than the way our work looks in some of our international programs, the principles of the work kind of remain the same, where we're trying to advance agroecology through farmer leadership in meaningful ways, and our intervention in Canada is through seed security. Give listeners an overview of Seed Change's work in recent years. Internationally, we work with local partner organizations in about 12 countries, including Canada. We provide technical and financial support to local organizations and primarily rural and indigenous organizations. And these organizations are working to strengthen really biodiverse ecological farming, as well as farmers' rights and community organizing. And in recent years, we've worked increasingly on gender equality and with women's rights organizations as part of this work. And this work is very much centered around agroecology, so growing food in a way that works with nature, ecologically, with local resources and local knowledge. So really, it's centered on small-scale farmers, Indigenous farmers. And food sovereignty is the right of peoples to define their own food and agriculture systems and to grow food in a way that's ecologically sound and culturally appropriate. This is really important to our partners. And it includes a very strong component on seeds, so seed security, seed sovereignty as well. So the ability to, and the importance of growing your own seeds and having control over seeds, that takes many different shapes in terms of the actions. 
But for example, community seed banks are a good example of actions that communities take to ensure seed security. Community seed banks are really a hub of community groups that are conserving local varieties, but they're also often doing selection and participatory plant breeding to improve and select and make sure that their varieties remain adapted to changing conditions. And also producing seeds and loaning or selling seeds. All that happens at community seed banks. So locally adapted seeds being really one of the key activities that our partners engage in. And the reason that these seeds are so important is because farmers globally, small-scale farmers, indigenous farmers, rely very strongly on local seeds. So 80 to 90 percent of the seeds are supplied through the local systems, through farmers that are producing seeds and sharing, exchanging, or selling locally. These seeds are adapted to local conditions. And unlike the seeds that are available for purchase, local seeds do not depend on costly chemicals to grow well, and they're well adapted to local conditions. And because farmers are retaining the control to select and produce their own seeds, then they're also ensuring with climate change, especially that they're always being able to adapt varieties to the changing conditions. So that's a very important part of the work. But again, the community organizing aspect is huge. And it involves, for example, in Central America, our partners do research. So farmers are engaged in committees that do research. And they don't just research seeds. They're going to look at all kinds of issues affecting the community and through those community organizations, find solutions for them and also engage in policy work. So, for example, on seeds, there's a lot of policy work being done to help ensure that farmers' rights to their seeds are respected. In Canada, there hasn't really been a lot of work that Seed Change has done before the start of the Bauda Initiative, but before the start of this program. Historically, Seed Change would be doing a lot of outreach at different events and community events, notably at CD Saturdays, community seed exchanges that you might be familiar with that happen over the winter and early parts of spring, where gardeners and backyard growers will get together at community spaces, exchange, purchase, and sell seeds from seed companies or hobby seed growers. And Seed Change would always have a presence at those events because of the importance of seed diversity and wanting to promote it and demonstrating how our work internationally would be of interest to folks that are interested in preserving seed diversity on their own gardens or farms. So there was always like a touch point with the seed saving community in Canada, even when we weren't actually doing practical on the farm, on the ground work here. Over time, an opportunity came around with a donation from the Weston Family Foundation and a partnership with an organization called Seeds of Diversity Canada to launch a program in Canada that would address a lot of the same needs that some of our international work was doing through intervening and, and providing resources to support farmers to save seeds that were important to them and scale up seeds that were important to them and how to advance those types of programs here in Canada. 2010, 2011 is when those conversations started, and in 2013 is when the program began. Our work is done in partnership, and it's done embedded into the community of actors that are already engaged in doing this work. For our Canadian work, it's not about developing or expanding 
our organization to have a presence in BC or in the prairies or in Atlantic Canada. It's about mobilizing resources to organizations that are already engaged with the ecological farming community, trying to understand what the gaps are in terms of what their services are and seeing how we can add value by, you know, providing resources, providing technical expertise. And in this case in Canada, the most underserved kind of need was that there wasn't a lot of action being taken on seed security and, and supporting and advancing seed diversity in Canada. So how does the vision of agriculture embedded in seed changes work? And you've used words like biodiverse farming, agroecology, ecological farming. How do those things differ from how our food system works now? This is such a big question. And the reason we use diverse terms is also because we recognize that the terms we use are not always well known. Agroecology is a very important term that we use, very important concept. And it's really about systems that work with nature. So you, as much as possible, are imitating some of the natural cycles. You're encouraging nutrient cycling. So using composting, using natural barriers to pests, such as intercropping, where you're planting diversity of crops. And these methods are very important to ensure long-term food production on land without depleting the soils, for example, without harming the soil biodiversity, for example. Biodiversity in farming is very important. So not just, for example, in soil, but in crop diversity. Historically, farming relied very strongly on crop diversity. And still today, the smallholder farmers, indigenous farmers around the world rely on crop diversity because it's an insurance. If you have something that doesn't work out, let's say there's a pest that came in and destroyed one of your crops, well, you have many other crops that you can rely on then. As well, it provides barriers. Pests tend to specialize. And so if there's something that's being attacked, well, then other things are going to create natural barriers and prevent it from getting out of control. So diversity in agriculture is really this amazing strength. And it's really also links to this seed diversity. When we talk about seed diversity, we're talking about species, but we're also talking about within a species, the varietal diversity. And so all that incredible diversity is what makes diets very rich, but it's also what permits farms to be very, very protected and productive as well. And so that diversity is really key to agroecology. What contrasts with that system, which again, that's not new, it's something that's existed, you know, <laughs> since the beginning of agriculture, but there's the industrial agriculture that can be juxtaposed to it. We talk about industrial food system versus the peasant food system or agroecological systems. Since World War II, there was this push for a green revolution, it was called, using chemical input, so using synthetic agrochemicals, such as pesticides, chemical fertilizers, and using seeds that were developed to have a higher production, but needed to use those chemicals in order to grow properly. And so that became kind of the new model for agricultural development that was promoted by many governments and research centers. The problem with that type of agriculture is that it tends to deplete the soil. It also caused a lot of farmers to go into debt because of the cost of these seeds and inputs. And eventually, on a large scale, it causes all these other kinds of environmental problems and has tended to push out the small and medium family farms. That, in essence, is the two models that we often talk about, the industrial versus the agroecological and the traditional systems. And ideally, both can move towards agroecology. 
the industrial approach can be agroecological. And agroecology, it's not just for small farms, it can help in all farming systems. So again, agroecology is a model that can help transition away from harmful practices in agriculture. We believe that farming in ways that are consistent with agroecological principles can mitigate a lot of and help farmers adapt to a lot of the social and ecological challenges that they're facing, whether, you know, it's climate change mitigation or adaptation or loss in seed diversity or just kind of reducing the amount of environmental pollutants that come through large scale industrial agriculture. The farmers that we work with believe that growing food in a way that builds healthy soil, uses diversified cropping system, reduces the need for synthetic nutrient inputs or nitrogen-based fertilizer, which is an enormous contributor to greenhouse gas emissions, food that doesn't require the use of heavy amounts of pesticides, fungicides, herbicides, the farmers that are engaged with adopting those types of ecological practices are the ones that our program believes should be leading the way in terms of how the food system and farming system needs to change. There's the ecological practical changes that would need to happen, but then there's also a very strong social and political one that values farmers' rights, access to seed, the well-being of communities, providing food sovereignty, you know, so not just food security so that we have enough calories in our diet, but to provide meaningful food for communities that speak to cultural restoration and cultural importance as well. All of that is tied into agroecology. We would argue that it's missing from the way in which we view our food system today, that it's not necessarily supported these types of practices, practice with ecology at the forefront, with well-being at the forefront, with food sovereignty at the forefront. You know, that's why we value agroecology and we feel that a lot of those elements are missing in the industrial food system that is still dominant today. And our entry point is to work with the farmers that are already engaged in those practices. And then by supporting them, we can hopefully make it easier for other farmers and other actors and stakeholders in the food system to transition towards that movement. What else does seed change do to push this vision of agriculture forward? Maybe I'll give a story of someone who really inspires me. Isidora Garcia from Honduras. Isidora is a Lenca woman who's had this incredible life of leadership and really supporting her community, especially women in her community. Her and her husband moved to a community in a hillside looking for land. So in Latin America, for example, land inequality is very much rooted in the colonial history of land dispossession of indigenous peoples. So that is really one of these enormous pressures that farmers face, not having access to their land. So they went to this hillside community where they set up their farm and they didn't have the right seeds for that environment. It was quite high in altitude and also very, very steep land to farm on. But they started to just increase diversity on their farm, working with neighbors. And they worked with our local partner organization, FIPA. It's the Honduran Foundation for Participatory Research with Farmers. And FIPA helped bring some diversity. So they were working already with seeds and community seed banks. And also looking at the land and how to farm on very sloped land. Slowly, this led to this incredible transformation in this area. The soil became very rich. The production was good and the farmers were doing better. 
And then Isidora and her neighbors in their farmer research committee, they created a farmer research committee. They created a community seed bank and started storing the diversity and sharing it with other farmers and then multiplying seeds. So this became, again, this hub, these community seed banks becoming a really important center for sharing this diversity. And of course, she was teaching all throughout and going to other communities and helping other groups start community seed banks and start farmers groups. And as well as involved in the policy work, these farmer research committees have a national association, which helps defend farmers' rights at a national level. The program that Seed Change runs in Canada is called the Bauda Family Initiative on Canadian Seed Security. The mission of that work is to build resilient seed systems in Canada to increase the quality, quantity, and diversity of seed that is available for organic and ecological farmers in the country. So the focus of our work is very, very, very specific in that we're trying to address the issues of seed security and seed diversity for organic and ecological farmers in the country. And the reason that that's important is that For seed in Canada, if we were to split it up for the major agricultural sectors and vegetables and grains, virtually all of Canada's vegetable seed is bred elsewhere. It's developed and produced elsewhere, and then it's imported into Canada. And it's sold by Canadian companies, but it's not being produced or bred for the diversity of Canada's geographic regions. And, you know, the majority of it's not being bred for organic farming conditions. And on the grain side of things, we have a really strong public plant breeding program in Canada for our major grain crops, but not a very strong organic grain breeding program for many of our major field crops like wheat, oats, rye, and barley. And why this is problematic for farmers is that as more farmers are trying to adopt more ecological farming practices, and as organic farmers and ecological farmers are trying to continue to farm every year, they need good quality seeds that are adapted to the types of farming conditions that they're trying to sustain. And there's not that level of supply that's available and that's not being produced here in this country. So our main intervention is to see if we can, one, identify what varieties of food crops need to be preserved here in Canada that are important for Canadian farmers, and then how we can create new varieties of field crops and vegetables that can do well in organic and regional farming conditions. Go into a bit more detail about the organizing and advocacy aspects of the work that you do and support, and maybe draw together the connections between the international and Canadian sides of the work in those areas. The programs are very similar, especially in terms of connections on seed participatory plant breeding. What Abir was just mentioning about work with seed selection and breeding our partners work very similarly, and we've inspired each other. So the work that Sea Change does is very much inspired by the work of organizations in the Global South that have been working on participatory plant breeding for decades. And it's very much a farmer-led process. That's really key to all the policy interventions as well, that farmers need to be at the table. They need to be the ones that are leading the discussions on seed policies. They are the most affected. And in terms of the international, the partners we work with, the communities rely so much on the farmer seed systems, and they require that the state seed systems support and recognize what they do. In most cases, I would say in the countries where we have partners, farmers' rights are not recognized or supported in seed laws. On the contrary, the seed laws are restrictive. So farmers' rights to freely save, exchange, and sell their seeds is often limited. 
For example, in Honduras, where Isidora Garcia lives, if farmers want to sell seeds, that is not allowed by law because you are only allowed to sell seeds that have gone through a certain process of certification. However, the farmers are producing very high quality seed and they're actually certifying it themselves. So what they would like is recognition of that. And they have managed in recent years for the government to support certain initiatives where they're looking at allowing farmers to do local certification, but it's really in early stages. But this is the result of many years of the farmers organizations and our partner FIPA really advocating with government to say, you know, farmers are producing quality seed and they're working with varieties that farmers want because they're adapted to local conditions, for example, for hillside farmers. What I want to echo is two key pieces that are very strong parallels between the international work and Canada. The first is farmer leadership and making sure that farmers have a seat at policy tables where these decisions are being made, because I think that is at the core, the most important element of any of our policy work is that how do we mobilize those that are most impacted to lead the change? The existing regulatory barriers that exist internationally and here can have a consequence of inhibiting the development and the production of certain varieties of crops that would be suitable for farmers that want to practice organic and agroecological farming. So we work with growers to figure out what are the strategies to remove those regulatory barriers and promote policies that help farmers and plant breeders overcome them. Prioritizing farmer-led solutions are the kind of ways to do this and to understand what the constraints, needs, and ways of doing things of farmer plant breeders, which is a lot different than institutionalized plant breeders, and what their needs are to create policies that contribute to increasing seed diversity and developing better tools for climate resilient farming systems. So I think at a high level, those parallels, you know, ensuring farmer leadership and removing the barriers that exist to help advance farmer-led seed systems are the ways in which our international and Canadian work align very, very strongly. At a global level, farmers' rights to save and exchange and sell their seeds are being infringed on. This is a trend that is led by the work of the large seed and agrochemical companies. And it is linked to intellectual property rights on seeds, so either patents or plant variety protections. There are different processes that companies use to ensure that farmers will always have to buy seeds from them rather than being able to save them themselves and give them to neighbors, for example. And unfortunately, a lot of the seed laws around the world do not reflect the need for farmers to have these rights recognized. Many countries have seed laws that are quite good, but globally, the trend is to have more restrictive laws on farmers' rights on their seeds. And that's really worrying, and it affects in Canada as well. Certainly, the example I was giving from Honduras, there are restrictive seed laws there. And farmers have been doing this incredible service for humanity by preserving seeds, by having crop diversity, and by adapting it in their fields. And To not recognize that role, to not have farmers at the table deciding the policies is really not right. We need to protect farmers' rights to save seed. And there's so much energy being put into globally how to cater to the needs of large multinational seed companies that already have such enormous market share on seed varieties through intellectual property rights, as opposed to trying to figure out how to preserve the widest amount of seed diversity possible for the public good. 
and through empowering farmers and mobilizing farmers to develop varieties that work on their farms, work on organic and ecological farms. What we're trying to support is also that farmers have agency in the variety development process and that they can choose how seed should be distributed for the benefit of their communities and the communities that support them. You have been listening to my interview with Beatrice Oliver and Abir Day of Seed Change. To find out more about the organization's work, go to weseedchange.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.